Hello, I'm Sumit Bose. Welcome to the Net Hero podcast. Well, as they say, a week is a long time in politics and a week off is quite long as well. So uh, I had a bit of time off uh, last week and I went down to Cornwall. And I'll tell you a little bit about that because it was a really interesting experience in the world of Net Zero. But let's catch up with what's been happening. Obviously, uh, there's a leadership election going on. And you could say, well, frankly, who cares? Because there's that classic thing of people being just jaded with politics. But I've been watching some of the debates. Really, it does show you there isn't much. The the cursory comment, but at least they all agreed, is that Boris's net zero plans should continue. So whether it's Rishi, Liz Truss or Penny Mordaunt, who look like the three favourites to go through, maybe the two of them are, but who knows, the final two at the time of recording this, we don't know. But they've all said they want to keep the commitment, though Morden is slightly dubious about how we we, we pay for it. Now, look, all of these things are fair because the cost of living crisis is really pinching now, and it's going to pinch even more. You've got uh, really quite a big, nasty surprise facing all of us when it comes to our bills in October. Price cap, well, who knows? The energy price cap, you could just say every week, it's, oh, it's 2,000, it's 3,000, maybe it'll be 5,000 by the time we get around to it. We're all, we're all going there. We've had a warning today uh, that's been published uh, about the uh, lack of gas that Europe is facing. Now, you could say that for this winter, so the IEA have warned that there could be a very tough winter ahead for the whole of Europe because obviously what's happening with Russian gas being uh, shut off and Russia itself shutting the gas off. So we're facing a tough, unprecedented time when it comes to price pressure. Inflation, you know, you can see what it is in the shops. You can see what it is in your day-to-day life. Um, And we've seen a rise in interest rates. Now, look, I don't want to give an economics lecture. I'm not any economics expert but you can tell that all of this leads to fiscal pressure and fiscal pressure leads to making decisions that are short term and what we've got to do for net zero is make decisions that are long term i am hopeful that this will continue whoever the new tory leader is we also saw a threat this week which was quite interesting that you know alex sharma the sort of cop president um, who stayed in post uh, has said he'd resign if if we go back and renege on our promises. Now, you never know we politicians, but I can't see us turning around all the stuff that's been done over the last two years. And we can't, we shouldn't, because this proves more than anything that we must continue to have our own resourcing and our own energy rather than relying on supply from other places. So I think that's been the real point that uh, I wanted to talk about, that, you know, despite all the pressures here, we still need to continue on this pathway. And for sure, if you look at what's happening out there, then the government, you know, has to continue doing what it's doing, whoever is the new leader. It's sweltering as I'm recording this. You're probably sweltering as well, unless you're way up in the in the sticks in the north where it's not too bad. But, you know, uh, who knows? Are we going to hit the highest temperature ever? So uh, I'm sitting here now and it's about 36, 35. 
which is quite nice. I quite like that. I mean, it's sort of the weather you'd be getting in the med um, and people are saying that it might hit 40, even 41. Uh, we'll find out. Uh, you'll know by the time this comes out whether we did it or not. Panic stations. Oh, the tarmac is melting. There'll be thousands dead. It's the end of the world and blah, blah, blah. Look, I'm not saying that this isn't worrying in its say, but it's also, if you look at the variety of temperature spikes we've had over the years, people's memories are short. So I'm old enough to remember the summer of 1976, where it was consistently hot for about six weeks. Temperatures over 30, 32 degrees, right? Uh, water shortages, droughts, we had all of that. You go back to 2003, you know, there was a massive, you know, the highest temperature until last year was actually recorded in 2003 uh, in, in this country. And that was a really blisteringly hot summer. I remember that very much. And it was a huge heat wave across the whole of Europe. Again, same thing in 2006. And then last year, obviously, uh, Europe, as is as it is suffering this year, is going through another crisis of a heatwave. Now, you could just say all of this shows you that we are in crisis and we're doomed and climate change is here. Yes, partially, I think there is an element of truth in that, that it's it, we're having an effect. But you've got to remember the difference between weather and climate, okay? And what we've got right now is a spell of very hot, dry weather. If we continue to have these summers like this, then there is definitely a shift. And I am sure that that's probably on the cards, but we cannot be sitting here and panicking because in a couple of, well, a couple of weeks, in a couple of days time, the weather will drop down and we'll have temperatures back to kind of normal. But none of this puts aside the fact that if you look at what's happening, there's been a shift in what they call the Azores high, which is a bit of weather that sits over in the Atlantic of the Azores, uh, the islands. And it's shifted so that the heat it produces, the high pressure that normally sits over Africa, has shifted up a bit in terms of its uh, uh, latitude. And it's now uh, ending up sitting kind of over Europe, which is why last year when I was in Italy, it was so blistering hot, and which is why we're having this hot spell of weather. Now, none of this it takes away from the fact that we should be cutting back from our emissions, but I don't want to get into a world where we're panicking saying, this is, this is climate change, this is the end of the world, because it, it isn't. What this is, is a weather anomaly that's happening. But the more we continue to do what we're doing, these things will become more and more frequent, and we will have to plan for it. You know, there are Lots of negatives, but there are also some positives. Um, we've covered a story, if you look at Future Net Zero this week, about the possibility of, if there is more of a shift of a one degree increase, particularly in the southeast permanently over summer, then you have really good wine growing happening here in, in the UK to rival you know, the vineyards of, of Europe. You could have different jobs. You could have different ways of generating power. So look, this is not easy. And I'm not trying to hide away from the fact that it's not um, the best thing in the world to be this hot because we're not used to it. But we may have to get used to this sort of stuff. We may have to try and put that thing together. So let's not get panicking, but let's make sure that this all feeds into the same message, which is let's use less, let's do better things, 
and let's try and damage the planet from there. Now, uh, later on in the show, I'll be bringing in our Head of Carbon Partnerships, Alice, to talk about scope one, two, and three, because I think it's a very, we did a column about it this week. I think it's something we really need to focus on, particularly for people who are listening to this podcast who are not from sort of the energy world. But just before I do, I want to just tell you a little bit about my trip down to Cornwall. And um, I went down there and I wanted to take the electric car, but I couldn't. And the reason I couldn't is I have a, a young son and putting him in a car and then having to break the journey for charging constantly is a nightmare. In the end, I went in a one litre petrol car and we did stop for about uh, two hours in total. But once I had gone past Exeter, virtually no charging. Now I could see a bit of infrastructure, but very little. And where I was staying, which wasn't too far from St Ives, what public charging there was, was around. There was no chance of getting in there. And so even though I wanted to do a much more low carbon journey, I couldn't. Now, you could argue, well, that's your fault. You should just have planned and put that in. But we have to live in the real world of where people are. And sure, if I was traveling down by myself, maybe I could just wing it. I could not worry about it. And I could stop and charge when I needed to. And I could try and find places that do it. But when you're carrying a, a toddler and you've got all the pressures of screaming kids in the back, which is the reality of people, children need a break, then the whole thing falls apart. So I didn't feel good that I had to drive in a petrol car. I felt all right that I actually did it in one trip. And, you know, my car uses very little, produces very little in terms of emissions, but clearly far more than the EV. And so here is the conundrum that we have, which is we really need to invest in infrastructure. And this has got to be across the country because it's fine. You know, I can go up the motorway and get to Manchester. I can stop the superchargers no problem you get there and then birmingham manchester probably liverpool i haven't been for a while but you know the big cities great you can probably get about it but when you go and go to where people want to explore so if i wanted to go to snowdonia i really think i'd have a lot of problems there is also a disparity there's a disparity when people who drive kind of fairly normal evs like i have to people who have teslas because teslas have a very good infrastructure, but it's just for Teslas. So the Tesla supercharger structure, a friend of mine has driven down all the way to France and planned it because the Tesla points are all there and they all work and they're all really, really fast. But that's, dare I say, for the wealthy. So we have got a real issue coming up because we need to expand to have cleaner transport with EVs. But to do that, we need to have the infrastructure and we are not doing that in any way, shape or form enough. I can see some of it happening, but I also understand the pressures on councils. What's the point of putting loads of electric charge points in for a bunch of holidaymakers who come down if the locals don't need it or don't want it and there isn't a demand? These are the things that matter. And the final point about the whole EV thing is um, my own experience here in, in, in where I live in North London is that I now have had to ask UK Power Networks, uh, who happen to be one of our partners, but uh, I, they're my local electricity sort of network operators. So... I had to ask them to come and they have to upgrade the cable into my house because my house is very old, it's the 1930s, and the power cable that's coming in is 60 amps, which is I think what they put in when they put London's uh, electricity in to begin with. And of course, 
my electric car draws about 30 and the house draws about 30. So guess what? The charger trips out. And I spoke to a couple of the lads who came to sort of do a recce and they'll be coming to dig it up. And they said, oh, this is a really common problem now. And it's a very interesting one because infrastructure again is going to become vitally important because if we do have the ability to get more of us using electric cars, we need a grid that will cope. We also need to fortify all the connections. Now, new places are great and they're built with it. Most people probably have 100 amps anyway because their systems are but there's a lot of people living in houses that are from the 50s, 40s, 30s, uh, and Victorian, even more so, that no way have the capability to do what we need in terms of our electric power. So this is another big issue for us, is how we improve the infrastructure. So things to think about, um, things that I've observed, nothing too major to sort of, um, you know, set the world on fire, but I do think that these things are really important. Now, what's also important is kind of understanding net zero. And if you've been reading Future Net Zero, you've been seeing over the last few weeks that our head of carbon partnerships, Ellis Hall, has been writing something called the Carbon Column. And this is where he gives his take on various things. And this week's one was very good because he gave a workshop, and I'm going to bring him in in a minute, to talk about scope one, two, and three. And if you are listening to this and you know nothing about energy, I think hopefully the next sort of 10 minutes will help you because it explains where net zero is going and what we need to do in terms of how we cut our emissions down. So Ellis, thanks for joining us. Let's explain what this scope one, two, and three is because I think it's very important. So. For those, as I said uh, just a second ago, if you're not from the energy world, what is a scope, first of all? Why are there three of them? And what do they matter to business? Okay, so scopes are split across three categories or three different scopes, should we say. And they capture the greenhouse gas emissions for reporting. So the greenhouse gas protocol is probably the most widely used reporting standards, reporting framework uh, globally, and they split them out, scope one, scope two, and scope three. So scope one are your- it, it, When you mean a scope, do you, sorry to you mean just a class, a type? Is that what it means really? Yeah, effectively, they're split across your direct and indirect. So it's basically capturing uh, the emissions from certain activities across your business. And the reason they're split across three is because it's based on them being direct and indirect and whether you've got control over them or whether you don't have control over them. So like I said, they're split across three areas, three scopes, and your scope one are your direct emissions. When I mean direct, they ultimately occur from your activity so you're responsible for those emissions into the atmosphere and they come from what, what, what would be an example of that then for a business yeah so it could be from a boiler so typically if it was a natural gas boiler you'd be burning natural gas to warm your system and because you're responsible for burning of that gas therefore it's classed as a direct emission. Other things come from if you're generating electricity on site, so if you've got a CHP system, again, you'll be burning natural gas for that. So it's typically around the combustion of fuels. But 
alongside that, there are other things. So you've got process emissions, you've got fugitive emissions as well, but you've also got your vehicles if you own them. So you've got fugitive emissions from air conditioning units uh, and equipment leaks and seals and gaskets, for example. Then in terms of, you know, we, we spoke about the combustion for boilers. If you've got, I guess, mobile combustion units, i.e. cars, which burn petrol and diesel. And if you own that, you're responsible for the petrol associated with that. So that would be classed as your, your scope one emissions again. Right. So that really covers your, your scope one. So that's you directly impacting the amount of GHGs, greenhouse gas emissions that are released into the atmosphere. And basically when we mean greenhouse gas, most people, it, it kind of means CO2, it means carbon, doesn't it really? Yeah, absolutely. The majority of greenhouse gases, you know, the most common is carbon, but they can be methane, nitrous dioxide, you've got your hydrofluorocarbons, your perfluorocarbons, your nitrogen trifluoride and your sulfur hexafluoride. But what we usually do or what is done across the board, rather than thinking about reporting on all of those individually, we turn it into CO2 equivalent. So you might have seen that the CO2 with the, the little E next to it. Yeah. And that bring everything relative to carbon dioxide. So it's based on the global warming potential of these gases. And the global warming potential is basically the amount of damage that it does. So... If you look at something like methane, it's about 25 times the global warming potential of CO2. So for every one tonne of methane that's emitted into the atmosphere, that's 25 times the amount of carbon dioxide. So it'd be the equivalent of emitting 25 tonnes of carbon dioxide. And that's just so we can bring everything relative to CO2. So rather than thinking about all these greenhouse gases, we can just equivalent of that amount of CO2. Understood. So if your business is burning methane, uh, you're you're doing 25 times more damage than if you were just releasing just normal. So these are things that businesses can look at and go, right, you know, actually I might be producing two tonnes of methane compared to someone who's producing five tonnes of CO2, but I'm actually producing equivalent of 50 tonnes because it's it's 20 times, 25 times more. So these are things yeah. that kind of, you know, we don't understand as, as normal people, but kind of are part of where we're going to be going, yeah, in terms of, how we start to measure what, what we produce. Absolutely. And you, you talk about that. If you've got certain hydrofluorocarbons, which are typically used in refrigeration units, and some of them have got different global warming potentials. So if you can move to one that's got a lower global warming potential, but your leak rate is still the same, that means you're going to be reducing the amount of greenhouse gases or harmful greenhouse gases that are going into the atmosphere. So that kind of captures your your scope one side of things. And then you've got scope two and, and scope three as well. So what is scope two? The scope two is a lot more straightforward. This is effectively your purchased electricity, heat, steam, or your cooling. Now, these are indirect emissions. So they're from you buying the electricity. And the reason that is, is because that electricity is being purchased off-site usually by a large-scale generator, and you're just buying, effectively, the byproduct of that. Now, like we touched on before, if you were responsible for generating it and you were using the fuel, i.e. the methane, the natural gas, to generate the electricity, then it's your scope one. But because most people buy electricity from the grid, they will be classing that as, as their scope two. 
So it's quite simple and it's quite easy to calculate, which is why you see a lot of businesses really focus on their scope one and two to start with. And you could probably really reduce that by moving to a, a green energy tariff. Yeah, you, you know, whether it's green or not, well, that's another conversation. But you could say, right, my supplier says it's producing energy that's renewable. And then I have quite significantly reduced my scope too. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah, it is, because you've got two different methods for calculating your scope to emissions. You've got your market-based approach and your location-based approach. So your market-based approach is, is like you've said, when a company actively chooses to work with either a generator or buy renewable electricity, where it's been backed up by a certification scheme. And as we see a very common one is, is the renewable energy guarantees of origin, the Regos in the, uh, the UK electricity market. People can buy those and they're actively choosing to support renewable generation. And therefore, they can calculate their emissions based on that and then you've got the location based approach which is the average emission intensity of the grid which the conversion factor for that can be found on the Bayes publication of the greenhouse gas emission factors that are produced annually and I believe just released their 2022 figures and you can just calculate your emissions by taking the kilowatt hours that you're consuming and multiplying it by the conversion factor so it's a very very quick and easy uh, yeah. method to do that so if you switch to a market-based approach where you're buying regos you can significantly reduce your carbon footprint under your scope too and what's the second approach so the location-based approach that was the one so the location-based approach is that the conversion factors taking it from the grid as the average of what the intensity from the UK grid is if you're operating in the UK. And then the different one is the market-based approach where you're buying the Regos. So it's that they're the two approaches that you've got to it. For the easiest thing then for a business really is we, we're not energy experts, right? Uh, is to just go and find and get some advice and look. And as you say, there's lots of information out there to get yourself a green, clean tariff. That will make a big difference significantly it will make a big difference for your scope two reporting absolutely and you can find the data very easily for that to be able to figure out what your overall emissions are so it's a really quick win for businesses if they're wanting to figure out what the carbon footprint is of of your scope one and two both of these can be found from you know enterprise resource planning systems or financial systems to find the data to do some quick calculations based on the base conversion factors and already starting to build a bit of a, a picture of what your footprint looks like and let's touch briefly on the hardest one scope three so what is scope three yeah we won't we don't have too long for this but yeah we'll, we'll touch briefly on it so scope three emissions are indirect emissions again like your scope two but you have so much well, less control over these so these are your upstream and downstream activities so this is the emissions associated across your full supply chain. So anything that happens before the product or any service that you buy comes to your kind of company facilities and then everything when the product leaves you. So in your upstream, you've got eight different categories that are split across purchase goods and services, capital goods, your fuel and energy related activities, transportation and distribution, your waste, business travel, employee commuting and leased assets. 
So everything that happens upstream, they can be can put into those categories. And then your downstream, there's seven of them. You've got your transportation distribution, your processing of your sold products, your use of sold products, the end of life treatment of products, your leased assets, your franchises and your investments. So you can see that there's actually a bit of an overlap there. You've got yeah. transportation and distribution on both sides. You've got leased assets on both sides. So whether you're the, the lessee or the lesser, effectively, whether yeah. you're kind of providing the facilities yeah. for someone or whether you're buying it. Like our office, isn't it? You know, we, we only got, yeah, absolutely. So, so uh, someone's that leasing the building to us, that's their downstream. But because we're leasing the building, that's yeah. our upstream. Yeah. This is the hardest one for businesses to get a, a grip on because it's, it's like that classic thing is you, you you've you've received a new mobile phone right and uh, you know but where are the emissions for that amazon dropped it off did they come in a van right where where was the carbon that was produced to package it where did the bits and it, it can become a real nightmare for a business can't it because it'd be like you're almost doing the tracking of everything that you've got that's a very hard one for particularly for a small business to even try and get a, a look in at. Yeah, absolutely. If you think about how many components are in a laptop or in a phone, and every yeah. time you're buying a laptop, have you got the ability to trace everything back to Impossible. the extraction of those yeah. raw materials? And until other businesses start calculating their scope one and two emissions, it makes it yeah. really difficult for you to want to track things all the way through. So if every business started looking at their scope one, the really quite easy ones, more and more businesses that are integrated yeah. into the supply yeah. chain would find it a lot easier because they could just take the scope one and two emissions from the partner that they're they're buying it from. In so, a way, it's like a domino, basically, because if we all did the basic of our own direct emissions, whatever size of our business, if we were selling their goods on to someone else, then that, that bit of carbon, you know, in the future, this is probably how it will work, isn't it? That you'll know the carbon of everything because the person who dug up the cobalt will say, here's how much energy it took to dig up the cobalt. The person exactly. who put together the LCD screen said how much I used for the glass and the resin or whatever. And then you get a picture of how much my mobile phone actually had in terms of all of that, rather than me as a consumer trying to get it because I'll never get it now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if you actually look at the, everything comes back to either the change in land use, i.e. we get cutting down trees, which releases carbon and greenhouse gases, yeah. or fossil fuels that we've been using. So the fossil fuels, the burning of the fuels, effectively are captured in everybody's scope one, and then it becomes someone else's scope two, and then it becomes someone else's scope three. So we brought everything back to basics. Yes, you'd have really high emitting companies which we know and then people would be able to take that data and calculate a much more accurate footprint of their own business operations so if you could start at the top of the food chain effectively at the start point and scale yeah. that through it would make it really easy for consumers and businesses at the end of the life cycle um we're gonna wind it up on a couple of things i want to talk about and if you're listening and look ellis is always around right you can drop him a, an email ellis.hall at futurenetzero.com or just try and get a hold of him through our website but we've also got a series of videos called uh net zero 101 the 101 video so if you have a look on our 
futurenetzero.com, we've done a video exactly on this. And I think it's really important. And the reason I wanted to talk about it was not just because you were a column this week, but also because you've been and given some talks the last uh, week or so. And I don't need to go through the details, but in essence, meeting businesses, um, what is the level of knowledge of the basics of this scope one, two and three out there? I think there is a lot of knowledge in terms of, especially on the scope one and two, because the calculations are quite straightforward. And a lot of the businesses that we talk to fall under the streamlined and energy and carbon reporting. So there's certain criteria you've got to hit for that. So they have to do it, but it's often pushed towards the finance team because it usually aligns to the end of year financial report. So it falls there. So the cross the business is maybe not so much knowledge, but when we've been yeah. doing talks to people, one of the key things is that they're really willing to learn about it. So they might have had some insight into it, but it's always good to kind of bring it right back to the beginning as to why businesses should be doing this rather than just saying, oh, let's do it because everybody else is. It's giving people <laughs> yeah, that right. foundation understanding. All right, brilliant. Now, listen, um, you are hitting the road. You've been hitting the road and going out and about. Um, you're here to help people. So uh, I'll put that message out there. If you're listening to this podcast and you're in the world of business, and even if you're not, you want some info, then Ellis is here to help. And you're happy to answer any questions, aren't you? Absolutely. Of course, I'm always happy to speak to people. It's, it's great to hear that people are doing this. And yeah, I want to be able to share knowledge that i have with with businesses to help them do the right thing ellis thanks for joining us this week cheers mate cheers to me okay cool ellis you can go mate Thank cheers you. see you guys and i'll just do a very quick payoff when you're ready rob uh ellis there now uh before i go one story that made me chuckle it's quite a good one uh, and it's uh ice cream very important right now with this weather. Uh, there's a, a worry that uh, ice creams, ice cream vans, the old Mr. Whippy, could be under threat because uh, at present, most of them are diesel. And of course, I don't know if you noticed this, but if you go to an ice cream van, they run the engine while they're serving you the Mr. Whippy because to get your 99, they have to generate the power which comes from the diesel engine. And obviously, naturally, councils are saying, stop running your engines. No, no one likes idling, particularly. It's quite nasty with kids there. And there aren't enough EV uh, ice cream vans. They cost a lot, 180 grand. So uh, there's a bit of concern in the ice cream. You could say that they're melting with rage. No, no, it's a terrible gag. But um, the Ice Cream Alliance said that um, th this could be... Uh, tricky for us so let's get more electric ice cream vans out there please manufacturers because i can't face having to go and uh, not get a mr whippy because of that that would be that would be a disaster particularly in this world i hope you've enjoyed the podcast this week uh, slightly different i wanted to go through uh, the stuff around scope one, two, and three, because I think it's very important. Uh, thanks for subscribing. We've hit 12,000 downloads, which is brilliant. We would love you to keep spreading the word and keep listening in. See you next time. You've been listening to the Net Hero podcast with Summit Bose from Future Net Zero. Visit our platform for all things Net Zero. And if you or your business is doing great things on the path to Net Zero, 
and want to be featured on the podcast, email nethero at futurenetzero.com. Follow us on social media. futurenetzero.com. Better business, better planet.